So we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts. If you'll get your Bible out, uh, iPhone, scrolls, prayer book, whatever you've got. Um, don't ever trust me. You always go by the Word of God. Welcome everybody in Palm Bay, the land, everybody watching online. If you're, if you're new here, we're glad you're here. We broadcast into two other uh, places. Palm Bay has a campus and the land has a campus. And we're going to do something unique here in just a second. But um, I want to call your attention again to what's going on uh, in Ukraine and explain to you what you have done. Um, what we've done with the resources that you've entrusted us with. We've invested in seven different missions. And you are working in Ukraine. You are working to uh, keep people alive. We're moving people around the country. You're buying food, clothes, diapers, uh, fuel oil. Um, we're moving people, as many as we can. Yesterday, one of the groups we were working with got 40 people out. They said we could have easily got 400 out had we had enough vans to do it. Uh, we're working in Poland, in, um, come on, Joe, Moldova. And we're working in other countries that are taking the refugees. We have them in our camps. We have them in our churches in Warsaw and other places. The Polish community has been absolutely incredible in taking in people, uh, but the resources are very limited. And so we're, what you've given to this point, and we've sent every dime of it, you've given $90,000. So I thank you for that. And. Um, that's just going to be, I mean, there's obviously there's no end to this problem in sight. So uh, that bucket will just stay out in the lobby. Um, if you want to write a check, send it in. It's not online anymore, but uh, that's just going to be there permanently because the need's going to be there always. So we're going to pray uh, for that. But we're also, uh, through the magic of technology... Uh, and I want you to treat this as if I could call him out on stage. But in Palm Bay, all right, through technology, watch this. I'm going to introduce this guy. He's not going to walk out, but he will walk out in Palm Bay. Staff Sergeant Kajua. And uh, he's been called up along with a whole lot of other people that are now in NATO countries. A lot of our troops are there. And we would be greatly amiss if we did not pray for them as well. So if... I want you to humble yourself, whatever that looks like for you. I'm going to kneel. If you want to kneel, great. If your knees and hips don't allow for that, you, however you need to humble yourself, and let's pray. <clears throat> Father, not in our lifetime has we seen, or my lifetime at least, have we seen something this horrific and tragic. <clears throat> and it's not just one country. There's so many things playing out around the world. People being persecuted, people being killed, people being imprisoned. But especially right now, we cry out for the people of Ukraine. And we know there are Christians on both sides, in Russia and Ukraine. There are Christians in Belarus. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Poland and Moldova who are opening their homes, the churches, that they're giving away all that they have just to keep people alive. Lord, thank you that we get to be a part of that. Help us to continue to be generous. And we do lift up our military as they're not quite sure what they're going to be called to do. And uh, it's a nervous time for everyone. So we ask for protection for all of our young men and young women that are serving, um, that you would protect them and let them know that the churches are praying for them here in America. In Jesus' name, God's people said. Amen. Amen. All right, it'll take you, 
I know it takes you a little longer to get up, so I'll give you, I'll give you just a minute. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we started this series a few weeks ago. So in Acts chapter 1, it's after the resurrection of Jesus and the disciples are very confused. Uh, they've been taught by Jesus for three and a half years. He told them what to do and they still don't get it. So they're meeting in the upper room and Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses all over the world. It's a great story. They still don't know what's going on. Chapter 2, they're in the upper room again. The Holy Spirit falls on them. They begin to speak in other languages. And people from all over the world hear about Jesus, the resurrection, the virgin birth. And it says 3,000 men that day got saved, plus their wives and their children. In chapter 3, a crippled man gets healed and everybody's rejoicing. 2,000 more men accept Jesus because of that lame man that got healed. And then in chapter 4, the Jewish elite arrest Peter and John for healing the man. Now give that some thought. And then they threaten them and they say, don't speak anymore about this Jesus guy. So they go back to the church and said, well, they threatened us and told us not to speak anymore about this Jesus guy. And the church said, you deal with them. Lord, give us boldness to keep telling other people about Jesus. And then at the end of chapter 4, which we didn't cover last week, but in the end of chapter 4, the church starts to get it. And the people come together and it said nobody considered what they had their own. People sold what they had. And specifically a guy named Joseph sold a piece of property and he brought it to the apostles and said, look, just take care of people. Just take care of them. Right. That's, where we're, that's where we're at. So we come to chapter 5. And in chapter 5... We're going we're gonna to pick up the story of another couple who decided to sell a piece of property. All right? But before we dive into that, I wanna, I wanna, last week I told you about the inventor of bacon. All right? Was that not a good story? If you missed it, if you missed it, it's on YouTube. You know, it's free. I used to be able to sell you CDs. I don't, can't even do that anymore. Uh, you know, it's all there. Um, but I want to tell you about another great hero that you probably never heard about. All right? He, his name is William Ding. He's from the Ding family of England. Anybody know the great story? This guy changed your life. You don't even know about it. Nobody knows about William Ding. The Ding family was in England in the 19th century. You with me, Peggy? Stick with me. Stick with me. All right. In the 19th century, uh, the Ding family was in England and nine children. But the only one that we know about is their eighth son, William Ding. And William did some just incredible things. Nobody, huh? Well, you might know him better by his, by his shortened name. It's uh, Bill Ding. <laughs> Joe, would you explain that to her? Keep my day job. It's all right. We're going to talk about honesty today. I'm not sure that that's a subject that comes up a lot, and I'm going to tell you why I think that. They did a recent survey, and they used to ask people. When I was a kid, they would say, do you lie? And people would have to sort through that. They don't ask that question anymore. You know what they ask on surveys? How many times a day do you lie? The average answer was hundreds. Now that's kind of frightening. 
And I thought, I mean, if that's true, I mean, of course, people, I mean, they're liars, so we don't know if they're telling us the truth when they do the survey or not. But the average person honestly admitted, yes, I lie hundreds of times a day. That's a terrifying thing to think that the people that I'm around on a daily basis lie all the time. They lie about lying. That's crazy, isn't it? But why do we lie? Lying is usually to protect ourselves. It's usually to cover for something, to pretend to be something that we're not. The Bible uses a word for that called hypocrisy. Wearing a mask, being something you're really not. And in Acts chapter 5, that's the story that we're going to pick up. Now, I want to tell you, because I always I tell you a lot of times, guys, not, not to listen to online. But I want to tell you a guy you need to listen to, a preacher you need to listen to. His name is Gary Hamrick. And I'm going to steal some of Gary's stuff today, so I'm going to give him credit for that. Uh, Gary preaches at Calvary Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. And this guy is just a straight, straight biblical teacher and just excellent. Um, but in Acts chapter 5, we pick up the story. So we read about Joseph, and it just kind of goes by. Joseph sold a field, gave the money, and we move on. Then we come to chapter 5, if you'll stand out of respect for the Word of God. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, lover of God and Sapphire, so pretty good names, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then the, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it all belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. All right, that'll end the church service. All right. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up the body, carried him out, and buried him. First church cemetery right there. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, that's the price, she said. Peter said, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You can be seated. Wow. All right. Now, I always get some dumb person that says this. Well, how come we don't see that today? Are you volunteering? <laughs> yeah, this is not a place I want to be. Obviously, God was teaching a lesson here. There was a point to be made about integrity. And again, in the story, please understand the story. Now I'm going to teach you what the biblical principle is about money, but you need to understand that Ananias and Sapphira could have done anything they wanted. They could have kept the land, been fine. They could have sold the land, kept all the money, would have been fine. 
They could have kept it, gave half the money, would have been fine. It's the fact that they lied about it. Now, I want you to think about this, all right? Maybe this is why you came today. So if you get this and you need to check out, it's all right. You don't lie to your wife. You don't lie to your husband. You don't lie to the pastor. You don't lie to your church. You're not lying to your boss. You're lying to God. Now that changes things, doesn't it? Being honest. One, one person said to me last night, my biggest struggle was being honest about being honest. Coming, coming out and just saying, yes, this is my struggle. This is my problem. I need help. I need forgiveness. I, I, need, I need somebody to help me with this. But they get in trouble because they're trying to be something they're not. Obviously, whatever happened, Joseph got attention for selling the land and giving the money. And they wanted that attention. They didn't want to give. They just wanted the attention. They wanted their name on the building. They wanted a plaque. I don't know. Obviously, the Bible speaks very well of Joseph. So they wanted a piece of that. Now, in Texas, all right, you ever seen these guys wearing these giant cowboy hats? And they, they use a phrase. They say, that guy is all hat and no cattle. That guy's all sizzled and no steak. One writer said there's hands on the clock, but there's nothing behind it. That's what's going on here. Ananias and Sapphira are obviously in the family. They, they're a part of the church. And they, they could have done anything here. But the one thing they chose to do was lie to God. Now, I'm not sure any of us think of it in that term. Now, I just was a, a little white lie to my wife. It was a little lie about this. But when people admit they're lying hundreds of times a day, are you kidding me? And then when they die, they'll go, oh, he was such a good guy. Really? So how many times did you lie in your life? A hundred million? How, how are you a good person? You see why you need Jesus? Do you see why you need the cross? Now listen, the Bible is very clear about money. All right? Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says the first 10% of what we earn belongs to God. If you're a Christian. If you're a Christian. Now, people get worked up about this and say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, if you, wanted, if you want me to tell you, if I had time, I'd unpack it and tell you that the Jewish people give 30%. Of their money. But I don't have time for that today. So, would you give more or less if you're under grace instead of under law? You and I have been saved by the blood of Jesus. So, we're under grace. 10% is paying the bill. Now, I don't tell you this. There's no way to say it without it sounding wrong. I'm just going to tell you because, because I do think sometimes you need to know. Luann and I were talking the other night. We have not missed a tithe check in 38 years. Now, I'm not telling you, now listen, I'm not telling you, we didn't do that so that we could have this or have that or get a mansion or, that's not the point. The point of tithing is saying, God, I trust you. And I'm going to invest in your work, in your kingdom, and I'm going to trust that you'll make the 90% go further than I could make the 100% go. And we've watched God perform miracle after miracle after miracle to take care of our family. That is why we give. Listen, so many churches, and you'll hear this really bad teaching, it's everywhere. They'll say, well, now listen, if you can't give 10%, start with two. Well, read Malachi. It says you are under a curse until you learn to tithe. So if you give 2%, where are you? Under a curse. Let me tell you who teaches that kind of stuff. Churches that need your money. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. I don't need your money. 
you need to be faithful to God. There's a completely different thing to look at when you look at it in that context, okay? You can do whatever you want to do with your money. It's your money. But what does God say that I should do with it? That's, that's the real issue that we're looking at here. And that's why so many people struggle because they think it's about giving to the church. When it's not, it's about giving to the Lord, and if the church you're at, I'll just tell you this, if it's, if it's this, you say, well, I don't like what this church does with the money. Well, then go to another church. If you're at a church right now and you don't like what they're doing, well, send your money here because we'll use it right. But, but listen, that's, not, that's a cop-out. Either invest and be faithful to... In fact, you should be faithful to God regardless because God's going to bless you for doing the right thing. Now... Let me tell you something about my non-Christian friends. This is, what, this is why the, the, the problem is so crazy. Because Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, and you've heard every preacher talk about it. It's in verse 10. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money. I have a, I have a number of Christian friends that I hang out with. Non-Christian friends that I hang out with. I have some Christian friends too. But, um, and... One day I was, I was talking to them about some things that we were doing here at the church. And, um, and I said uh, something. And they said, oh, we know where you live. And I'm like, that's a little creepy. I said, what do you mean you know where I live? They pulled out their cell phones and they all showed me pictures of my house. You know why? They wanted to find out if I had a private jet. Because they know what preachers are like. They know what their image of preachers is like. How tragic. But it's not just preachers. Greed is everywhere. But they wanted to know that I was a guy they could trust before they became friends with me. Isn't that interesting? And that's how the world looks at all of us. So Ananias and Sapphira get themselves in trouble simply because they're not honest. And again, ask yourself, am I lying to somebody else? Or am I lying to God in this process? Secondly, it's honesty about death. I don't think for a minute they thought that if there was going to be punishment, that it would be death. That's, a, that's pretty serious, right? Now, this may not fit into your genre. If you listen to bad preaching on a regular basis, you'll hear these guys say, Well, God is all love, and you can just do whatever you want, and God doesn't care because He loves you, and God can't live without you. Yeah, He can. He can. He died because he loves you enough that he wants you to live with him. But God is not best for it for you. All right? You and I have been paid, our, our souls have been paid for with a price. Does God love us? Yes. Is God just? Yes. All right. Behind me it says Luke 17. You turn, you turn your own pages. This is intentional because I want you to pay attention. If you look at verse 20 to the end of the chapter, I'm going to tell you what it says, but you can read it for yourself and you need to mark it. Because everybody wants to talk about the second coming of Jesus and what's it going to be like and when's it going to be? Is it going to be this Thursday? I don't know the answer to that, but Jesus himself tells us what the conditions will be like when Jesus comes back. He says, first of all, he said, people are going to be saying, hey, here's Jesus. There's Jesus. Hey, we just saw Jesus like he was at the McDonald's down in, in Banel somewhere. All right? He said, don't, don't fall for any of that. 
He said, when Jesus comes back, every eye will see him. All right? So don't pay any attention to false stuff, church. Be focused. But then he tells two other stories. Now, two stories that are the most beaten up in the Old Testament, even by preachers that say, oh, it's not true, it's made up, it's just an allegory, is the story of the the worldwide flood of Noah and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah where God judged those two cities because of their homosexual behavior. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. Do you think Jesus believed in Noah? And then he says, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Did Jesus believe in Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah. Now let me tell you what he says. By the way, people say the whole flood thing's made up. All you got to do is look at some rocks. That's not too difficult. But um, you're welcome to research this. But there are 450 flood legends around the world. Different cultures. Never talk to each other. They all have one thing in common. A worldwide flood, a boat, a family, and a bunch of animals. Now, what are the odds of people in South America, Africa, North America, Central America, Asia, all having the exact same story if it was made up? That's free. Feel free to do your own research. But Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. What was it like in the days of Noah? Well, in Genesis 6, it says that the thoughts and deeds of every single person was evil all the time. And only eight were found righteous, Noah and his family. Now, what happened in that story? Noah's family gets on a boat. And what happens to them? They are delivered before the disaster, right? Then he says, also, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so will it be at the end of time. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah was eaten up with homosexuality. It had become, they had turned everything that was wrong into what is right. And Lot is going to be rescued. He and his two daughters and his wife, they're going to be rescued before what happens? Before the disaster before fire and brimstone fall. So what is the picture here for us? That you and I are going to be rescued out of this mess before it totally all melts down. All right, isn't that good news if you're a follower of Jesus? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've not accepted Jesus yet, don't go home without him. You can hit the button, I've decided, go see David, Ben, come up here to our decision. We'll help you before this is over, all right? But I just want to show, because it drives me crazy, and I don't know what to do with it except to tell you what to expect. But here is the headlines from this week, all right? There's the woman of the year, and there's the best NCAA swimmer. We're a messed up culture. But listen, without Jesus, that's what you'd expect. But listen, understand what Jesus said there in Luke 17 is this is how you'll know that the end is close at hand. Pretty pretty straightforward, isn't it? So if you've got somebody telling you that this stuff is okay and this is normal, you're not listening to a Christian preacher. All right? I'm just letting you know that. What we need... 
What we need is some Christians and some pastors here that will stand up like this pastor. This is a priest. His name is John Budin. It's, it's, that's not his Russian name, but looks like one bad dude, doesn't he? Um, um, but, but he's a priest in the Orthodox Church in, in Russia. Now, here's what I want to point out to you. There are thousands of Orthodox churches in Russia. But there was one man, this guy, that went into the pulpit last Sunday and said, what is happening in Ukraine is wrong. We're killing innocent people. They arrested him out of the pulpit. And my guess is you will never see him again. He's probably already in a suitcase or in a shallow grave somewhere. I don't know. We can pray for you. Pray for him. But one guy out of thousands upon thousands had the courage to speak the truth. And you can kind of see when we get to the end of times what Jesus said. He said, will I find faith when I come back on the earth? Will people still be standing with me? Hebrews 9.27 says, just as is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. No reincarnation, no second chance. One shot to get this right. And you have to understand that death is inevitable. When it's going to happen, nobody knows the answer to that. I lost another friend this past week. Way too young. Way too young. I've got another person dying right now, another friend of mine. Listen, i got no control over that. Except to help you be ready for that moment when God calls you out of here. Whether it's a group exit or we go out individually, we want to make sure that you're stepping into the presence and into the arms of Jesus Christ. Because it's a one-time shot you and I have to accept Jesus Christ. And that's the message that we all need to have. But I'm going to tell you, the last part of this really sums up what our problem is. You've got to be honest about fear. When I grew up, about that big. I was, I was about that wide, but I was about <laughs> just being honest, okay? I wore husky diapers. What can I tell you? Um, <clears throat> thank you, J.C. Penney. Um, where was I? Oh, but I, um, but I had a fear of my mother. That was a good fear, but I was afraid of my mother. I'm still afraid of my mother. There's a story... There's a story. You got a picture of that police car in San Antonio? There's a story about two kids that attacked their mother in San Antonio. And they called the police. And I'm like, man, they'd have never had to call the police at my house just to clean up the mess. That would have been the only thing they'd have had to do. I feared my mom. Still do. I feared my dad. I feared my teachers. I feared my principal. I feared the police. I even dated the mayor's daughter for a while. And the police stopped me and I was still scared. But today, you know that's not true on any level. Kids have no fear because there's no consequences for anything. And you get a generation that's not afraid of anything. You get a generation that's just totally out of control. Because where it starts, Proverbs 1-7, Solomon wrote this to his son. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because if you don't fear the Lord, you're not going to fear anything else. But once you have a respectful fear of God and you're like, man, I can't lie to God. Now I can't lie to my mom. I can't lie to my dad. I can't lie to my spouse. I can't lie to my children. Honesty's got to come out of me because I fear God because I'm going to stand before him. Look, 
Every one of us has a fear of something. There's a phobia inside. Most of it's irrational. What's crazy is what we ought to be afraid of, we're not. You know, Pharaoh, he was awfully afraid of the plagues. But after 10 plagues and probably two years of suffering in Egypt, he never was afraid of God. He was afraid of the next plague, but he never figured out, I should be in fear of the Lord Almighty. And that fear of God is what motivates all of us to get back on track. Listen, when I accepted Jesus at 13, you can, I, I had professors tell me, Joe, you did it all wrong. Okay, thank you. Um, that you should have accepted Jesus because you loved him and, and, and cared about the lordship of Jesus and you wanted to serve him. That all sounds mighty altruistic. You know why I walked down the aisle and accepted Jesus and was baptized? Because I didn't want to burn in hell. All right? That's why I accepted Jesus. I ain't the smartest duck in the room, but I said to myself, hell, heaven. Okay, I get it. It was presented just like that. And I said, I, I, want some, I want some of this heaven. I don't understand it, but I know I want it. Maybe that's where you're at. One more story. This is William Carrier. Man, do I love this guy. He invented air conditioning. None of us would be here in Florida. None of us, except the few of you that, that were here and toughed it out with the mosquitoes and the heat and the humidity. But... Arizona and Florida exist because of this wonderful human being. Do you realize, and nobody likes to talk about this, but hell, it's fire, it's punishment, it's separation from God, it's all those things. But Jesus came to offer me something that's eternally perfect. See, I can set the temperature in my house. I get to decide, well, Sort of, my wife mostly. But I, I, I get some say in what the temperature is in the house. Right now I'm telling you, you get to decide what the temperature will be for all of eternity. What, what you do with Jesus. But it all comes back to one word. Honesty. Father, I pray that... To, oh, wait, I want to say one more thing. Um, I can interrupt my own prayer. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> I just happened to see something on the screen that I want you to see. Okay, so four, let's talk about these four statements, all right? Four generational fade. Parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. Number two, kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. Number three, those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. And number four, those kids grow up with no concept of God. Some of you are already in the fourth rung, and you're trying to turn the whole story around. We get that. Some of you are on level three. What we're trying to do is get us all back to level one. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go to work in us. Whatever we need to work on as far as honesty, whether it has to do with our money or the reality that one day we are going to die and we need to be prepared for that moment. Or the fact that we treat you like some kind of a genie rather than an almighty God who expects repentance and expects holiness and expects godliness. So, Father, would you work amongst each of us? We give you permission to search our hearts, our minds, and our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.